And today, guys, we have a really... I mean, all these cases have been weird, but this one's going to take us back. This is going to take us back to... What would you say? Probably the beginning of, I don't know, the film industry in a lot of ways? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And it's definitely got some uh, dark undertones here that we were not aware of until looking into them. But we've all heard about this guy, and his name is Roscoe Arbuckle, better known as Fatty Arbuckle. And I'll say right out of, uh, right out of the gate, he hated that name. He hated being called Fatty. Yeah. <laughs> why? Like, why would he like that? That's awful. <laughs> I thought it was like a term of endearment. Like, I got called Fatty all the time. I mean, back in the day like this, I would think, like, think about that. Nicknames were so precise back then. You know, nowadays you call a guy Fatty and it's this, you know, meth head sized dude. You know what I mean? That's yeah. how it works now. Back then it was like, yeah, I mean, Fatty. Sure, it's what he is. Let's move past it. It's not taking away from him but like you're saying and i totally agree it probably was more along the lines of a term of endearment but yeah it's reported that he did not like being called fatty and i don't think we could get away with it today <laughs> i don't i don't think there's a right there's not a there's no actor out there who's overweight that's willing to be <laughs> called fatty <laughs> doesn't that wants to be called yeah. fatty um not just a want, but even, you know, I mean, I guess accept it. You know, someone was just like, Fatty Stevens. <laughs> He's a big famous dude, you know? No one's choosing it, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess no one chooses their name. There their is nickname. a uh, female rapper who goes by Lardy B. Yeah, she's an obese chick. Huh. Yep. Lardy B. Find her on YouTube, guys. You know, we bring a lot more than just... Yeah, I guess if you're embracing it like that, it's all good. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And I guess in a lot of ways, making fun of uh, Cardi B, who is not talented. Let's move past it. <laughs> I don't want to get the Cardi B fans trolling me like, oh, she's more talented than you. How many songs have you written? Like, Get the fuck out of here. A lot more. She's probably never written any of them. But uh, today, like I said, we're talking about a dude who – Honestly, kind of got shamed away from Hollywood. And unlike some of these people, he is a person that was actually just accused of a crime that he didn't actually commit. And it forever tarnished his name. I'm looking at a picture he, of him right now, though, and it definitely yeah. looks like he would have committed a crime. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he looks kind of like – Did you have you ever seen the montage of like his weird pranks that he would play on people? Whenever the camera would kind of be on, he would just no, do really, really quick sleight of hand type of stuff. And this is back before, you know, that was really a popular thing. And it was very comical. Honestly, dude, he looks just like my grandfather if he didn't have a goatee and was still alive. He really does. No bullshit. Um, oddly enough, though, this guy was uh, huge, man. He was he was even more famous than Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton because he came out before that. He was the highest paid star for the longest time while he was in Hollywood before these guys came along. He had his own studio at a certain point. He was earning a million dollars a year. Uh, he was the first actual comedic actor to also direct his own stuff. So even well before the likes of Chaplin and Buster Keaton, he was doing his thing. And 
on uh, once again on like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, this man does not have like a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame or anything like that. His hands aren't embedded in front of the Hong Kong, you know, <laughs> theater, whatever the Chinese theater. Is it because there. there's not enough space for his large hands? Oh, that's good. That's possible. He's got extra large hands. He suffers from gigantism. But uh, let's talk about uh, – obviously, we like to do this in order a little bit. I gave you guys some information about him before we actually get started. But that's because most people – honestly, to me, before we looked into this, I thought that this was like a cartoon guy. Like I didn't believe that this was a real guy who – you know, it's it, it just, just it seems imaginary, like a character known as Fatty Arbuckle. And you go back and you find out that this is a real guy named Roscoe, and he, he lived this – crazy life before the famous comedians of that time and he's not known man that's so weird to me when i found out that like his movies were banned it was bizarre it kind of made more sense to what was going on if that you know what i'm saying to not know who he is they banned his movies of course we're not going to see him no one's posting it on youtube but he is the i would say the uh outline for a lot of the uh, oversized comedic actors today. It, it kind of seems like uh, all the heavyweight people kind of fall into that same kind of like physical comedy that a lot of the silent film actors were doing. That's right. And he was able to, being his size, he was very, uh, you know, very athletic in a lot of ways too. And he was just a big guy. I mean, that's the same thing, with, you know, the likes of Chris Farley, you know, Jack Black, Kevin James. There's a lot of them that go out there and, not only are they funny in what they're saying, but also their physical ability. And I don't know. I, I don't think I've really ever seen outside of like Rowan Atkinson, you know, being super physical that's really skinny to the point of, you know, nearly harming oneself. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I can't think of any like heavy hitters right now. I mean, Jim Carrey's physical, Steve Martin's physical, but. To the level of a Chris Farley, uh, Roscoe Arbuckle here, a Jack Black, a Kevin James, those guys really put themselves in harm's way, whether it be a stunt actor or what have you. But for sure, Chris Farley and Fatty Arbuckle were doing these things legitly through Saturday Night Live and just general improv that they had, you know, found themselves in vaudeville. Right. But his name was—he was actually born. Uh, this is crazy too. His name, uh, his early life, obviously starting out. Uh, now. Like, Fatty's just way better. What a better middle name. Conkling? <laughs> Wait, names back then. And throughout this whole thing, throughout this whole episode, you guys are going to find that there's a lot of weird fucking names. 100% weird-ass names. Like, people were naming themselves really weird. And I guess maybe, like, John and, you know, Brad and it probably just seem really weird in 25 years from now, 100 years from now. But Roscoe was Dukes yeah, of Hazard. Yeah, a super old name. I feel like that's a name that a dog would have. That's a dog's well, name. You have to be like over a hundred years old. Is that what we do with names, though? We retire them once they become retired, and we start giving them to our animals. That's when you know the name is retired from human, from humans. Yeah, look at like uh, I'm sure Bailey. Right back in the day, there was probably dudes named you know Chip, for sure. Spot, Mutton. These are you know <laughs> there was a guy named Spotty. That's a guy, you know, Max. 55, 60 years ago. Yes, oh, that's – and that's a name that has really faded away a lot. But there's some – you know, both Roscoe and Max 
have both been dogs that I've owned. <laughs> Oddly enough. But, uh, yeah, this dude was born in uh, 1887, March 24th, in Smith Center, Kansas. I don't know what that means. Who is Smith and what is his center? You know, what, what what's going on in Smith Center, Kansas? have no idea and probably not much. All I know is he was one of nine. Nine? Yeah, that's a lot, man. Back then, it probably wasn't even that much. Like, nine kids? Oh, well. Ugh, you guys are lucky. We got 15. I'm pretty sure that was common back in the day, especially with, that's like, what I mean, rural yeah. farmers. It had to be. I mean, they had to have farmhands. They're, they're creating friends instead of, you know, going out and making friends. Yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna make people that have to like us. It's easier. <laughs> I mean, eventually they're gonna hate us anyways. But at least for like the first thirteen years, they have to like you because they rely on you. Anyways, um, this dude weighed into excess uh, when he was being uh, excuse me, Arbuckle, and this will come back into play a little later on. But when uh, Roscoe was actually born, he weighed into the excess of thirteen pounds, and at birth. Uh, both parents had slim builds. His father believed that the child was not his. So he sees this giant, you know, butterball come out of the fucking, you know, come out of the mom. And I'm sure, you know, birthing back then wasn't what it is today. It was a horrific scene. Probably looked like there was going to be no survivors. But uh, yeah, he was 13 pounds. That's a large child. That's like a three-year-old. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know that babies came from women. <laughs> that's good that's good i like that it's like we're you're still stuck on like maybe the stork idea they're just kind of dropped off or i, do they I just was appear? told that we were groaning cabbage patches oh i like that that's that's even more believable than a bird carrying this 13 pound behemoth through the sky so this 13 pound large child comes rolling out of the cabbage patch as we all do according to Brad. Uh, consequently, uh, he named the baby after a politician and notorious philanderer uh, who he actually hated, Senator Roscoe Conkling of New York. What a weird weird thing to do. Like that's just think about this. You have you have a child and because you assume that it's not yours, you purposely name it something you know after somebody that you completely dislike. So that way for the rest of your life, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's so dark. That's the darkest way to live. You know what I mean? Like, what in the fuck? It's like if you just named your kid like Fart, it's it's forever going to linger. But think about this. Yeah. What they're doing is people will name their kids in this sense still to this day. They'll name them. They'll pick a name that they know that this kid is going to get made fun of for having. They know right. it. How can you not? Kind of like a uh, boy named Sue, Johnny Cash song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. And, I mean, it's still happening today. Like a, uh, a boy named Ashley. What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop it. Uh, <laughs> the birth was actually traumatic for Molly, and which is – that's his mom. Uh, resulted in chronic health problems, and that contributed to her death 12 years later. And when she died – like almost immediately after she died, uh, you know, his father, who didn't think that he was his father, abandoned him, just left him. So Arbuckle was nearly uh, – when he was two, he moved, his family moved to Santa Ana, California. Roscoe had a wonderful singing voice, and this would come back into play later, and he was extremely, extremely agile. 
Uh, at the age of eight, at his mom's encouragement, he first performed on the stage of Frank Bacon's company during their stopover in Santa Ana. Uh, Arbu Arbuckle actually enjoyed performing and continued on until his mother's death. When he was 12, his father had treated him harshly through this, like I said, and he refused to support him. So what he did is he went on to, you know, basically start making a living for himself at that young age, right? Working in a hotel, just doing odd jobs. And by doing that, I guess he was singing in like the kitchen or some shit, you know, like that annoying dude who has to sing when he fucking works. And somebody was like, oh, well, at least he has a good voice. But it's like nobody knows what song he's singing. Like how many songs were there? <laughs> but, I mean, how many songs do you have to choose from, right? I mean, Jesus. It's, it was, you know, just fuck it. It was a long time ago. There was 11 songs. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's probably like some gospel tunes to pick from and then like Cab Calloway. You're just making up shit. That's what I mean, yeah. After that, you're just kind of throwing stuff into the wind and hoping that it sticks. But – yeah, like I said, uh, he worked in this hotel doing odd jobs, and somebody heard him sing, and they said, hey, man, go enter this contest. Sing and see what happens. You know, See if you can <clears> – see if it benefits you at all. So he does, and that ends up uh, – he wins the contest, and that starts his vaudeville career. Now, I do want to reiterate kind of here because I don't have the information in front of me because I didn't get far enough into it. But I, I am curious because the reason we wanted to look in this and the reason I brought this up to Brad is because there's some sort of thing that went on outside of just Arbuckle and his career where they had wanted to make like a, a biopic of this dude's life because it's been insane. It was insane. And they had cast other big – you know, comedic acts like we said, uh, Chris Farley was definitely on the list, as well as John Candy, and both of those guys had been cast to play Arbuckle before they passed. And there's basically a conspiracy, I would say, to the idea that maybe this role had something to to play, you know, some part in why they died. As odd as that is. But that is what made me curious about Fatty Arbuckle and his entire life in itself. So that's why we're here. So do you think it's a curse or that it, there's a conspiracy, like someone actually killed these guys because they were going to play the role? Well, I think the curse in itself is like a conspiracy somebody had conjured up because they made a connection with these large guys who had also died, you know, kind of randomly – were, were both also, you know, slated to play this well, guy. Well, I can in a, say in a it probably wasn't random. It probably had something to do with the copious amounts of drug use. Probably wasn't accidental, meaning like Chris Farley and John Candy were probably eventually going to die. Yeah, I mean, just the the weight issues and then the copious amounts of drug use. Yeah, that's what I figured. But yeah, I totally agree with you there in that sense of the randomness being not so random, but they were weren't murdered is what I was kind of – right? I mean they weren't murdered in that sense, but the idea that they both died from not taking care of themselves, kind of, you know, the conspiracy and curse ultimately kind of created itself. And maybe it is a curse because there hasn't – it hasn't happened yet, and it's 2019. I would have just assumed that because of who he was and how popular comedy is these days – it would have happened, and there's options. 
there's plenty of dudes out there, right? All right, so anyways, back to Fatty Arbuckle. Like we said, uh, he had uh, – during this working in the hotel, he would he found himself in vaudeville per, uh, performances quite often. Uh, he was he would judge some of the acts. You know, he'd clap. Uh, he would do he would sing, dance. You know, he did some clowning around, but he did not impress audiences very often. So you would think at this point, because he did get super famous, but at this point in 2019, somebody would have created a movie. So curse, conspiracy, whatever that goes behind this. With the popularity of comedy now, you would assume that somebody would have created this movie, regardless. I mean, they did another Poltergeist after all that shit. Yeah, I mean, they covered a lot of old actors, like Charlie Chaplin got his own biopic. Yeah, that's true. I mean, fuck, they're doing, they're running out of actors and they're doing musicians now, so what better? I mean, and think about it, this guy, there's too many people that could play this dude, not not just that, but fuck, he's crucial man there's so many things that this guy did but uh outside of his early life i mean continuing on kind of in his early life when he starts getting older he's now in the vaudeville he ends up marrying an uh actress uh, whose name i think is uh i don't know i have it written down here somewhere but i cannot remember it's a fucking crazy name but i, I when the man said it i could not write it down fast enough because i didn't know it was a word but uh, uh minta dufree there you go. <laughs> what is that? Or what Durfee. is that? Have you ever, have you ever met one in your life? Somebody with the same name? Never. Are you gonna? No. Never. All right. So he was uh, actually that's married 19... a few times. Yeah. Uh, Minta divorced... was the first wife, and then it was Doris Dane, and then Addie. Crazy names. Doris, Addie. I mean, also possible names now, but Minta. Right. Anyways, uh, yeah, 1908, married vaudeville actress, like we said. Uh, started working at the studio, Keystone Studios. He was a very active big man, like we said, i.e. Chris Farley. Uh, he also started to do less comedic roles around this time. He sort of started the situation comedies that we know of today. That style, that makes sense. So what we know oh, so today... So he kind of pioneered that, huh? That's right. So that's why I'm kind of confused as to why he's not more popular and people. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense, especially if the crime that we're going to talk about eventually he didn't commit. It doesn't make sense to me. And he was on band eventually. But uh, 1915, he's invited as a, a guest of honor to the World Trade Fair in San Francisco. Uh, 1920, he visits London. Like I said, he was always joking around and pranking people. He would just do weird stuff that you see magicians do today to kind of create a joke if that makes sense in co in correlation with the crimes that he committed or allegedly committed the newspaper back then had a had kind of a a huge part in why this happened and why it gained so much press people you know really fell into it and this there was a a news story that came out long before the crime situation, and it was a story about Roscoe Arbuckle, you know, Fatty Arbuckle, meeting Pancho Vila. Apparently, these dude. Apparently, the story went like uh, they were throwing fruit at each other across uh, a river, and Fatty Arbuckle apparently uh, dropped a dude uh, with some bananas. Like he was just throwing a thing of bananas over there, and knocked a dude off a horse. Not a real story. 
And they even claimed, they even said, not a real story, not true, after it came out. But that is, huh. like I said, that was the first time that they started to pin some fake news on Arbuckle to kind of garner him some press or publicity. So it kind of goes hand in hand with the crime that we'll talk about later. Uh, he eventually gets signed with uh, Paramount, making that million dollars a year. The head of Paramount, uh, Zucor, ends up coming over for a dinner to the Arbuckle residence, and the pra- uh, practical joke ensues where there's like this klutzy waiter who is starting, you know, he's very bad at his job. And it's to the point where the head of Paramount is getting kind of pissed because of how bad this waiter is. And then he finds out that the waiter was actually Buster Keaton dressed up. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you you can see that he's a, a jokester, even to the highest level. I guess the first film that he kind of made when uh, he got his own film unit was called The Butcher Boy, and it featured Buster Keaton. And the reason I, I say this, I have to bring it up because it is his first movie that he kind of created on his own. Uh, also, the idea of like movie titles back then, I feel like they were super obvious or like way out there. You know what I mean? For sure. Butcher Boy? What? That sounds creepy almost. Doesn't sound like a dude that like works in a meat shop. Back then, it probably just was. Yeah, a few of them have some pretty weird name. The Foreman of July. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't... Sometimes you're like, what am I getting into? The name of this movie has nothing to do with, the, with what's going on here. <clears throat> but during uh, during all this, uh, Charlie Chaplin does eventually get his own studio after that, which is now the uh, Jim Henson lot, if you... You guys have heard of, uh, you know, the Muppets and uh, all that other stuff that Jim Henson did. It came from the lot that was previously owned, the studio lot that was previously owned by uh, and created by Charlie Chaplin. Uh, the films, like I said, obviously weird. Not something. I mean, they're mo- all silent, right? I mean, he didn't do speaking roles. This is how far back it goes. And we're talking about a guy who is doing slapstick comedy before there's words and before Charlie Chaplin was even really popular. He was the highest paid actor in Hollywood before Charlie Chaplin ever even came around. This is a big name and not a lot of people know about it. It's more or less you just know about the uh, the thing that has to do with Chris Farley and John Candy. But uh, eventually Minter and Roscoe divorce, like we said, uh, Arbuckle's career was steady improving at this point. He was actually pushed to make three feature films simultaneously and I feel like that that's probably more common these days. I feel like well, actually, uh, I was just thinking the opposite because I'm looking at the yeah. list of movies and the amount of movies that he did per year is he was doing at least five or six movies a year. Yeah, at a certain point, he made six feature films in seven months. That's absolutely insane, and that was around 1921. And actually, took off from Hollywood at this point to take a break because yeah, fuck that. But I felt I feel like. I guess maybe that because of the span of how long it takes to make films, it takes years sometimes to make films, that that's why it seems like, oh, you know, 2018, we got three Johnny Depp films. How'd that happen? You know, but it's because the filming and the release dates, etc. So I, I, get, I guess you'd probably be right. And I was thinking the same thing when I, when I wrote that down, but think about that. Three feature films, all the lines, all that stuff. Jesus. 
That's just a lot of work, man. I guess it's a lot less lines to remember when it's a silent film. I suppose that's true. I've always wa- I, I feel like that's something that would really that could do well on like YouTube if somebody was really good at it. Right? I mean, just fucking Buster Keaton that shit out. Be you know Jerry Lewis esque. You know, falling down and not being you know dumb shit like that, and I just have little a quick screen that, that says it, some. Does that still hold up today? I would think. I feel like it'd be cool, man. I'd still check it out if it was in, like, you know, fucking HD. Let's make it HD. But, you know, you're telling the story with, like, kind of a narrator who is only text. That makes sense. People are fucking... Yeah, I guess it depends on the person, too. Because, like you said, we do still have, like, Kevin James and Melissa McCarthy. Like, these people are very talented physical actors as well as, um, like, emotional range. Right, and, and and think about the money, too. You know, if somebody's if you're getting paid to pretty like the Jackass dudes, you could put Steve O, and you know Johnny Knoxville in a fucking silent film, and then just tell the story, you know, throughout what they're doing without actual words. If that makes sense, just because yeah. they're physical, they would they would put themselves in harm's way to sort of be funny. You know, Channing Tatum's known to do that type of shit where he does his own stunts. Jackie Chan, you know what I mean? Get those dudes fucking. Let's record it, man. When he falls, <laughs> he fucks up. Ow! <laughs> it's just a screen and just says ow. <laughs> fucking breaks his neck. You know what I mean? Like that shit would be hilarious. People, because people, it's the attention span thing. It's like how much can we get people to read these days? But I feel like if it's a quick five, less than five words, you know, every every other scene or whatever, people will be into it. I think. Who knows? Uh, just throwing it out there, but uh, like I said, 1921, Arbuckle actually leaves Hollywood after filming six feature films in seven months. He took off with two friends to the St. Francis Hotel, and that's kind of where our crime starts. Uh, apparently, he was staying on the 12th floor of this hotel, and I, like I said, I had no idea that a crime took place within Arbuckle's life before we did this episode no bullshit i went into this episode only under the idea of talking about arbuckle and the weird thing between john candy and chris farley the curse i guess but here we are there's a crime actually uh, going on there's a crime that took place allegedly um san francisco was apparently an open town back then uh alcohol was still readily available for purchase and during this uh, event, he purchases a case of outlawed booze. He has a whole case of booze in his house. Now, he's not – he didn't plan to have a, a soiree, if you will. He didn't plan to have an occasion. He wasn't looking to entertain people. But somehow it just kind of happened. 11 o'clock, a friend arrives, uh, and this friend tells him that he ran into an actress and invites her up. And the actress's name is uh, Virginia Rapay. And she is actually not a very known, well-known actress. She's a B part, a bit part actress, excuse me. Not very famous, but of course, uh, Fatty Arbuckle, you know, Roscoe Arbuckle's up there doing his thing. He's got a case of booze in a place that's still got it, but it's still very much illegal. Well, let's do it. Virginia Rapay ends up coming up to the party, and it, it wasn't even a party. It wasn't supposed to be a party, but a party begins, and Roscoe didn't want the party. Uh, some woman ends up showing up by the name of Maud Delmont, 
which is another fucking lame ass name, dude. It bothers me so much to my core. And like, then I feel there's like... Mod. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I, I, I don't know. Maud Delmont. Just for the name in itself, it's like, yeah, she's she seems like a cool lady. Uh, she did have a horrible background. Uh, she was a bigamist, extortionist. You know, she committed almost every single crime you could commit outside of murder. And she was at this party. Maud Delmont. Uh, we'll talk about her more shortly. Uh, more people continue to arrive at, you know, to his apartment, even though he did not want people there, really. But he started to entertain them. Alcohol continued to flow. And this Virginia Repay ends up getting sick. By the time that she actually gets sick, Maud Delmont and this guy, uh, I don't know, Jim? I forget his name. Jerry? Farmer? I don't know. Fucking, who cares? Not important. But uh, Maud and this dude are in, in a room that had the bathroom in it, and they're busy doing some stuff. And that's where Virginia eventually goes to try to get sick. You know, She's drinking, and her stomach hurts. She goes to get sick in this bathroom, but they don't let her in the room. They tell her to go use Roscoe, you know, uh, Arbuckle's bathroom in his room. So that's what she does. She takes off to Roscoe's bathroom. And gets sick in there, and she's laying on the floor. And Roscoe ends up telling all the people at the party that he's, you know, he's got to go. He's gonna go out. He's taken off. So he goes into his room and then into his bathroom, and proceeds to shave and shower, which only takes ten minutes. You know, Virginia gets sick again. She's still in this bathroom area, and he tries to move her. The guy's name is Sherman. Sorry, I don't know where I got Farmer. What the fuck? <laughs> Far Farman. <laughs> I don't know. Sherman and Maud. Uh, they come in to check out, uh, check into Virginia and what's going on with Virginia. And nobody knows what's going on with her. She's sick. Things are bad. Uh, a nurse shows up and he doesn't see any physical evidence, any evidence of physical injury to her. She gets sick. She's got a soft, at, uh, a tender abdomen, excuse me. Uh, they don't take her to the hospital for three days. Three days before they take her to the hospital. By the time she gets to the hospital, a mere 24 hours later, she dies. Yeah. She dies. And uh, according to somebody that had recently looked into the medical examiner's report on this, the doctor had said that uh, it was in a, she had an acute abdomen. And uh, some of these things might have happened from... Uh, some sort of internal organ that had exploded, uh, resulting in like appendicitis. She ended up at the wrong hospital, though, after they did finally take her to the hospital. She ended up at, at like a maternity hospital. And before she was transferred to the hospital she was supposed to be at, her organs were removed. So, what? The, what? Yeah, they took her organs, and you know what that's a sign of back in the day? Back then, you know what that's a sign of? Abortion. So yeah, they took took the whole thing. It's weird that you would assume back then, even, that an abortion would consist of take it all. A child inside of her? How weird, right? That an abortion consisted of taking the organs? Like, did she have a baby inside of her after she died? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, if you're gonna have a kid, it's kind of like having your organs removed. 
Yeah. I agree. It's, you know, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course, but kind of literal as well. Yeah, those little they're bastards take everything from you. Yeah, they continue to. But uh, anyways, uh, Roscoe actually is back in Hollywood before Virginia died. So he thought that she had gotten to the hospital and everything was just going to be A-OK. But during this time, he finds out that people are saying that she died because he crushed her. Death by crushing. Death mm. by crushing from this large man. He somehow managed to be on top of her and crushed her bladder or spleen or something, and she died. It's his fault. All this stuff continued to grow because I mentioned that woman, Maud, just recently. She claimed to hear screams from the other room before she went in to check on Virginia Repay, which that obviously leads to more speculation to Fatty Arbuckle being involved somehow. But... As crazy as, as it was, they do arrest him for murder, and they arrested him for murder without any real evidence. Without any real evidence whatsoever. And then there's this guy, this district attorney that comes in, who really wanted to take Arbuckle down, specifically for his own gains. The dude wanted to be a governor, possibly run for presidency. His name is Matthew Brady. And like I said, district attorney. Uh, he, he was very well connected with the newspapers. And did everything he could to go into the public eye and make sure that Arbuckle looked awful. Instead of being seen by the public as the laughable, chubby, fat guy, whatever the hell you know you want to call him. He was turned into a gross monster. Uh, Chaplin was actually quoted in France saying that he didn't believe that Roscoe had done this. He wouldn't do these things. Uh, he actually was quoted to say specifically Roscoe wouldn't hurt a fly. And the crazy thing about that is that was not printed in the States because, you know, they wanted to make sure that he looked shitty. They wanted to make Roscoe look bad because you got to think back during this time, not only was alcohol being, you know, illegal, but just Hollywood in itself was kind of frowned upon. 36 different states were trying to outlaw the idea of films watching movies and shit like just, what <laughs> it's so huh. weird. so weird to think that was even a thing but i you know once when you kind of hear it you kind of remember just the conflict between hollywood and the general pop you know general population it was a thing we didn't like those motherfuckers those starlets those false idols if you will you know, they end up going to trial during the first uh, trial. Uh, one of the jurors, specifically one juror, didn't believe Roscoe's uh, testimony, and that left it being a hung jury. So they had to go to a second trial, and the one juror who actually didn't believe Roscoe had ties with this Matthew Brady. Her husband worked at his office or some shit like that. There's a photograph, and in the photograph of the jurors, you see one lady who has her head ducked down, and that's the lady who for sure said that Roscoe was a bad guy. Everybody else was like, no, he didn't do it. Obviously, he didn't do it. All right, so yeah, like I said, one lady pretty much ruined the first trial where he could have been acquitted. So during the second trial, they, you know, his, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, his lawyers and shit, they didn't actually call the man to testify. They didn't put Fatty Arbuckle back on the stance, which is bad. 
and ended up in an eight to four result. Uh, once again, I, I don't know, some sort of a hung thing. I don't know how that works. Jesus, what are we doing? <laughs> there was a third trial though. And uh, the third trial results in uh, them actually showing Virginia's prior medical history. The victim, alleged victim, they show her medical history. And guess what her medical history showed? She didn't have any organs the whole time. That's right. She was also a ghost. No, uh, she <laughs> she actually had multiple abortions. Oof. Yeah, it was not the first time in her death that she had an abortion. So basically that right there means because of her continuation with uh, abortion and the surgery that goes with abortions, that resulted in her abdominal tear and her ultimate death. I mean – Yeah, abortions back then are definitely not what they are now. I couldn't imagine. I mean I couldn't even imagine, dude. What is it? You know, like what – there's – I don't know. I don't really even want to know what it was. Uh, what? A, okay, so the judge actually says because of uh, him being found not guilty, the judge is quoted to have said uh, acquittal is not enough. He was manly throughout the trial. He's entirely innocent and should be free of all blame. Basically saying the public should should let the man be. He didn't commit the crime. So it seemed like it was all over after this. Like he was going to come back and everything would be A-OK. Back into the movie business, back into the light. His friends still stood by him. But there was a few people, this guy named Hayes, who wasn't very excited. This guy named uh, Adolf Zukor, who we mentioned before, who was the head of Paramount at this time. Now, I don't know. I feel like I, haven't really, I don't really know any Adolfs that are great dudes. It just seemed like an angry guy. It's just an angry sounding name. Uh, other producers were also not interested in outside interference within Hollywood because back to what I was saying about the 36 states that were on the fence about Hollywood, this is a whole thing. They wanted to kind of get the bad out of Hollywood, and they thought Arbuckle was one of those guys because of this trial, this case. Even though he was a free man, he didn't actually commit the crime. They still were fully against him. And his films will ultimately become banned even after he was acquitted. Arbuckle was eventually a broken man. It just seems to make sense. His friends tried to uh, get him unbanned, bring him back into the whole thing. But uh, Roscoe actually never appeared in a silent film again that can, I don't know, that can be credited, if that makes sense. Uh, he was in a film, though, called Go West, which was directed by. His good friend Buster Keaton, but Roscoe Arbuckle was actually dressed in drag, and he was in only three shots. And only one of those shots can you see his face. Barely, though. Just a small glimpse. Can't even tell it's him. Uh, 1925, though, he's in a movie, uh, some sort of gold rush, and it featured an homage to uh, Arbuckle from Charlie Chaplin. And then... Uh, he did kind of make a small comeback under the name William Goodrich. And as we had mentioned at the top of the show, that was his dad's name. Huh. And he started directing. He was directing under William Goodrich and tried to make his comeback. They eventually did unban his movies. He has a legacy. 
Uh, his contributions to the film industry, Arbuckle actually has a motion picture star. Now, like I said, I kind of it is on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, so he does have a star. He doesn't have the handprints because, as we said, too large. They just couldn't yep. cast. They couldn't use that much cement. I mean, people would fall into it, and start losing children. <laughs> it, it's it's just really a tripping hazard. It really is. They couldn't they couldn't risk it. That's why Andre the Giant doesn't have one either. Um, many of Arbuckle's films, including the feature Life of the Party, survive only as worn prints with the foreign language intertitles. Uh, little or no effort was made to preserve original negatives and prints during Hollywood's first two decades. Uh, by the early 21st century, some of Arbuckle's short subject subjects, excuse me, had been restored and released on DVD and screened theatrically. Arbuckle's early influence on American slapstick comedy is widely recognized, but it doesn't seem to be, at least in my eyes. I don't hear a lot of people referencing him, man. It just doesn't make sense. I feel like it just went under the bus. They left him, uh... He came and went. And after his acquittal for his crime, nothing ever came about it. I do like how he had to change his name in order to get back into the film industry. Like, that's all it took. No one else recognized him. They're just like, oh, this is just... who, Who is this guy behind the camera? Well, think about you it. Kind of like that like fatty that. Arbuckle guy, but you have a completely different name. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, you kind of look exactly like that fatty Arbuckle dude, but <laughs> you kind of look exactly like that dude that's in those films that we've seen before. You know, all over the world. I don't know. Just saying. Uh, it's, not uh, it's not me, man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and then that's it. That's where it ended. He's just like, it's not me. Is it? All right. <laughs> Thank, all right, cool. Take it easy. But yeah, man, that's uh, that's Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle for the listeners, the audience, the people. Uh, interesting, interesting, man. I did not, like I said, I didn't know there was a crime. I didn't know. I was really just curious about the connection between Chris Farley, John Candy, and uh, the biopic. And I don't really have any other information other than the curse, I guess. Alleged curse. No real proof behind it. We did it. Do you think they should try to get somebody else to play Fatty Arbuckle? Yeah, man. I'd love to see it. I would love to see it. Honestly, if that's the kind of comedy that we're going to get from a biopic, run that shit all day long. We only have so much time with Kevin James, Jack Black, you know, the likely ones to be cast, I'd say. So Is let's that get who it you done while we still can. I, don't, I, I love Kevin James. He's really done a great job because I look at him – as a replacement for Chris Farley within that group. Uh, yeah, I think he'd do a great job. He's always – even his stand-up is funny to me. But he is good, and I, and I feel like Fatty Arbuckle is kind of one of those guys, especially with the popularity of comedy these days, that has kind of disappeared. There's only, what, a handful of big guys that could possibly do this that are new. Josh Gad, uh, Bobby Moynihan, who I really enjoy. But as far as looking like Arbuckle – you know, you got to go Kevin James. It's just in my mind, but it's kind of a lost thing to me. The excess physical comedy, right? I mean, sure. Yeah, you still think see about glimpses it. of it, like right. 
but what was our day, man? We watched, we saw, we got to see stuff on MTV like Jackass, where you're literally just laughing at a guy who's just he's choosing to destroy himself. It's yeah, for me, one of the uh, the big ones was actually not really a big guy, but uh, Jim Carrey was a great physical actor. One hundred percent, and he's just getting old. That's just what you know what I mean. He's he's in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, but other than that, I mean, come on. Ugh. Don't get me started on that movie. Since Yes Man, he hasn't been as physical. 